from the creators of Relevant Magazine. This is the Relevant Podcast. It's Tuesday, December 10th, 2019. You're listening to The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Huckabee, the Santa to this sleigh here uh, <laughs> coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. Down there in Orlando, Florida, my, my chief Christmas elf in charge of the workshop, making sure all the toys go out to the nice kids. It's my friend Chandler String. Hello. Out there in, well, out there kind of, in, I guess you're out in Palm Springs today on, on assignment that's right. And so uh, Cal is, is is our is 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 chief reindeer making sure key keeping the keeping the sleigh going around the world <laughs> is uh, Jesse Carey. I prefer all three magi rolled into one. That all three wise men. That's what I'm bringing today. It's just wisdom. It's just wisdom. So I reject and, your reindeer uh, label. Uh, and I guess, I guess uh, John Mark, I don't really know your Christmas designation, but I'm getting kind of a Krampus vibe so far. <laughs> if I was going to guess. <laughs> Our Christmas Krampus today. We're always glad to have our friend John Mark McMillan on the podcast. Hey, John Mark. Hello. Um, it's always good to be with you guys, no matter when, where, or how. John Mark, I don't know. How familiar are you with the story of Krampus, John Mark? I am only mildly familiar with Krampus. Okay. Well, that does throw a wrench into my theory a little bit, but but I, I my understanding he's sort of a Christmas monster who like punishes the naughty kids, right? Doesn't he eat them or something? I think so. I think he <laughs> has very violent retribution for basic naughtiness. Like, oh, did you tell a fib to your teacher? All right, not only you're not getting Christmas presents, you're not getting a lump of coal. You're being eaten by a horrific monster from the Night Shyamalan's The Village. <laughs> That's yeah. I, think, I think American Christmas mythology, like American folklore, is pretty not like you get a you get a lump of coal, a lump of coal in your stocking. But in some of those like Nordic countries, maybe old Germanic lore, the Krampus comes and it's much more violent, and, and the stakes are just a little higher for Christmas yeah. over there. You better watch out. You better not cry, or you will you will be eaten alive. You'll be eaten. You, <laughs> John Mark, I have a question for you because you told us something very interesting, like your fall tradition. You know, I was picturing fall traditions it's like oh going to a football game or you know doing a bonfire you go to medieval uh festivals dressed as like a knight during the fall what are your christmas traditions that maybe did you have any that you grew up with that maybe not everyone puts into practice uh man i don't know that my christmas traditions are more uh interesting than my fall tradition there's not much more interesting than dressing up like a king and walking around with a goblet in your hand all day um, that, that, if I could find something like that to do at Christmas, I probably would. We drive around and look at Christmas lights with my kids. That's not very exciting to talk about, but it's fun. I think you could, Gosh. honestly, I don't think there's a wrong time of year to walk around dressed like an old medieval king with a goblet. Like, I feel like you could make an excuse for that any time of year, including <laughs> Christmas, because honestly, I want to like make that tradition. I should roll that into Christmas. I found out, I found over the Thanksgiving break that my brother-in-law is a big fan of going to those, those medieval fairs. 
and uh and doing a little bit of dress up him and his wife will will dress up and go to the and get the big turkey leg and the jousting situation all this was news to me i didn't know this but i've i discovered it i'm glad you i'm glad you guys brought this up because i want to hear i want to hear your hot (laughs) takes and they can be as hot as you guys want to bring them on turkey legs because i think they 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 look so unnatural it looks like you're eating a pterodactyl arm and it's more meat than I can consume. And I'm not comfortable. Like, there's no good way to bite it without getting turkey grease all over your face. Like, you really have to angle that turkey leg perfectly. And it, otherwise, it's basically you're rubbing a turkey leg all over your, your, your face. I am anti-turkey leg. John Mark, you're a medieval festival goer. What are, what's your turkey leg take? Well, I, when everyone else is doing it, it's cool, right? And I guess that's the whole thing with the Ren Fest. <laughs> Is that it's everyone is, you know, ridiculous. And so you can't sort of you, you don't feel out of place by rubbing a turkey leg all over your face because kind of everybody <laughs> else is doing it. It's just, you know, <laughs> there's just no good angle to eat it. I mean, part no. of the turkey skin is going to hit the sides of your mouth. And, and and John Mark, I know you you have a beard. I occasionally have a beard. I don't want that. I don't want turkey grease. I don't be walking around with turkey grease all day. There's just no way <laughs> no. to eat it. There is no, you You feel like just a savage. And I guess that's the fun of eating a turkey leg. But I feel like I after I attempt a turkey leg, I feel like I need a shower after. I feel like I need a good hose down, <laughs> you know? I know. I'm so. really weird about getting stuff on my hands too. And so I don't think I've done the turkey leg in a few years. I hate to get my hands dirty. That's so weird, isn't yeah. it? But and I there's no options. I don't get the turkey leg situation because I've seen a turkey. I, I eat turkey at Thanksgiving. <laughs> turkey legs are are not huge. They're just they're just turkey legs. And <laughs> Where then, are these and, turkeys coming from? <laughs> and then when you go to a medieval fair, and a turkey leg is like three feet long. Yeah. They they're, yeah. they're they're bigger than my entire forearm. And in the <laughs> cartoons, like if you're watching Charlie Brown or something like that, then just forget about it. Then you're talking about a brontosaurus leg. They they just get bigger and bigger depending on the context. And turkeys are medium sized birds. Like where are these medieval fairs finding these turkeys? Like that's this is like an ostrich leg. There's something fishy. This is like an emu or, or something. Like something fishy is going on. I've never seen a turkey in in in, in imagery in nope. in the. Yeah, I've never seen a turkey in the wild, but I've never seen a turkey and thought, oh yeah, that that leg is absolutely four feet big and would would <laughs> could, could feed nine people you know something's going on there guys something yeah. is going on yeah yeah well in addition to something going on we have other things going on on this podcast today besides our medieval fair hot takes among them beth mccord oh this is a good one beth mccord is an author and speaker she's joining us to talk about her new series of books on the enneagrams called the enneagram collection that's out today also John Mark, you're going to tell us a little bit about your best of the decade picks. Your 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 some of your top ten, your top favorite story movies, TV shows, podcasts, albums of this decade, along with some more reader responses to our request for best of the decade selections. That'll be coming up later on in the podcast. But first, we do want to talk as long as we got John Mark here on the podcast. John Mark, you just released a new single. I did just last Friday. Yeah, I'm a big fan. You know what? Hey, Chandler, let's play a little clip of Juggernaut, which just came out. That's cool, man. Blossoms grace the trees. Spring without permission. Ages on again. The ruckus that she brings. A juggernaut stimulating merciless in a show power. Life, life is heavy, but it just won't stop. Life, life 
John Mark, I, I love the the new song. I love the the sonic feel of it. And I always here's one thing I've liked about all of your music. And this is like a probably a nerdy thing. I, I mean, I'm, I, I like all the aspects of your music, but this is probably a nerdy thing. But I feel like when whenever you release, release new music, I'm always excited to hear how the drums sound. And that snare pop sounds <laughs> so freaking cool in that song, man. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, we we actually thought really, really hard about the snare on this whole record. Like I said, I want to do 90s snare. And I think it took everybody a minute to like come along with me. <laughs> yeah. But, but we want this huge like fat snare. It's like, yeah, that's cool. But it's like it's like everyone's doing it. Like I know this 90s snare is not cool at all, but I promise everyone's going to love it if we do it. <laughs> yeah. And then and, and then it just got cooler and cooler and weirder and higher and poppier and snappier from there. It was, it was so much fun to see how nineties we could make the snare sound. It's, I mean, it's crazy that we spent that much time thinking about the snare. There are probably other things we should have thought about, but I was like, <laughs> I want everyone. I love, I just, I'm just nerding out that you said that. Cause I want everyone to hear it and think about the snare. <laughs> well, it's like it, you, you were, there was a single, uh, it was a few years ago where I'm trying to remember, uh, which one it was, but it had the toms like had this really cool do, 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 do. It was like, it oh, was yeah. almost like synthy. <laughs> and, and every time I release music, I'm like, okay, John Mark McMillan really cares about drum sounds. And that is really cool. Like, the, and, but this is a really cool song. And I feel like sonically, it seems like an evolution of your sound and you have a new album coming out in February. How is this album that you're going to be putting out different from what you've done in the past, in your opinion? Well, I think this album more than any record I've ever made is fun. Like I Hmm. feel like I'm still dealing with some heavy subject matter, but I'm sort of in this place in my life when I want to like have a good time too. you know? So I'm singing about a lot of these existential kind of ideas, but I sort of like, I feel like I, you know, like not to get too hyper spiritual or, whatever, you know, like the last, the previous sort of season for me, sort of deconstructing faith, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm tired of hearing that word too, but you know, we were all doing it and I'm sort of in this place now where I'm like, I love living. Like I love thinking about God, like, and maybe I think about God in weird, silly ways, you know, but I'm like, you know what? I'm old enough now. I just turned 40. So I've got to be comfortable with all that stuff. So I'm just going to bring it into music and we're going to have a really good time. So I feel like a lot of the songs, there's more upbeat songs. Like I, I, I even thought, how can we make things maybe even offensively optimistic? You know, mm. there's mm. so much mm. anger and it's not even, I'm not even trying to respond to the anger. I'm just tired of it. Like I'm just done. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? With the anger and maybe there's reason to be angry in, in general, but I mean, gosh, I'm just sort of like over it all, you know? Yeah. And so like, I think this record more than anything is, is fun. Like it's a lot of fun. I, you know, I, I think there are deep parts of the record. It doesn't mean that it's shallow, you know, but for me, like it's, it's just exciting. I just had a good time making the record, you know? So I think that's, it's not as heavy as some of the other records, like at your first listen, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting. You say that because, you know, 
I mean, you know, there's always it. it we're kind of in a, in a moment of outrage. And like you said, there's a, there is a lot of things that we should be legitimately outraged about. But at the same time, that's a difficult yeah. headspace to live in all the time. You know, we got impeachment hearings. We got people trying to force turkey legs, you know, <laughs> on our faces. <laughs> and every time I go to a fair, like propaganda, there's all this. There's it's not a turkey. I don't know but, what it is. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what animal you, you, you know, baked. For this gigantic lake, but we all know this isn't tricky. But all I say, a lot <laughs> to be outraged about. But how did it like change your, or did it kind of change your overall mood and disposition? Intentionally making a decision to be optimistic and happy, and kind of laying outrage. Like, did you see when you were making the album and you kind of brought yourself to that place uh, mentally and creatively? Did you and spiritually? Did you see it have an impact just on your day to day life and outlook? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like a hundred percent. And, and like, and, and maybe this feels so like stereotypical of an artist. I feel like I'm the most stereotypical, emotional <laughs> artist person, right? Like, but like, I kind of live whatever happens in the studio during the day. Like, I feel like I'm living it. And so sometimes when I'm dealing with like these things that I'm going through or, you know, like I tend to like, just take it on. And honestly, I've had like breakdowns in the studio before. You know, where I realized like, okay, I'm in a bad headspace because I'm way too deep into this thing I'm singing about, you know? And so straight up, like it was so much fun. Like it's me and my buddy Jacob most days making the music, having, um, you know, guys in my band swing by every couple of days to play parts. And it's just kind of been a party. Like it's just been so much fun. There's been no massive emotional breakdown, no sort of crisis of faith, no existential fallout, like just a good time. You know, yeah. um, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, I, maybe it's just confidence, you know, hmm. I feel like I've lacked a lot of confidence, you know, yeah. <laughs> in my life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm just at a point where I'm confident enough to just make a record that's fun, you know, and I don't feel like I have to die to make this record. Yeah. You know, like it can just be like an awesome record. Even that's interesting, like, because I feel like whether someone's like an artist or not, right? Like you, you can approach a lot of things, whether it's like, you know, like maybe someone's not confident in being like a parent or, or, or being good at their job or, or whatever, you know, when you kind of made, well, I guess confidence isn't necessarily a decision, but when you kind of leaned into it and kind of got comfortable with who you are creatively, did that confidence bleed into other parts of your life that you've maybe second guessed, you know, in the past? I would say so. I think it's all kind of happening at the same time. Hmm. You know, it is sort of like, there is something beautiful about getting a little bit older and you can look back and see like, okay, those things that I thought were a big deal aren't as big of a deal. You know, um, and so I think it's not just the music itself. I think maybe it's just my entire headspace, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've worked through some things, had some hard conversations. I've had to make some difficult decisions and I've had to live with, um, you know, issues that are not that, you know, seemed really big at the time. And you look back and you're like, you know, that was challenging, but it wasn't that big of a deal, you know? And so I think part of it is just my age. You know, I feel like I'm coming to a place where I'm like just more comfortable, you yeah. know, um, there are certain things that may never happen. I may never sell out Madison Square Garden, you know, um, yeah. but instead of striving for that, it's sort of like, well, 
I'm really good at this and I like doing yeah. it. And so I'm just going to give mm-hmm. myself to it hundred mm-hmm. percent. And I'm not bummed yeah. that my buddy Jerry played Madison square garden the other week. And I was at home not playing Madison square garden, you know, like, <laughs> I was at home making an awesome record. You know yeah. I mean? But I mean, I to be fair, old. yeah, we've all been there, you know, and listen, I've eaten some turkey <laughs> day, legs in my day and I've seen some things, but, but I mean, but it is funny because even like if vocalizing that it's like, well, we all have a tendency to set like a pretty unfairly high bar for ourselves. So like if you know what I mean, like and then when you put it in perspective, it's like, hey, man, th- maybe this is how things are going to shake out. That That's really cool. And the other thing I want to ask about the um, about, you know, the single and just kind of your your evolution as an artist. I feel like, you know, from during the beginning, your um, a lot of your songs, the actual like end product that the delivery was reasonably simple in that it was a lot of guitar based drums, kind of a traditional. But I feel like sonically, you're bringing in a lot of different new elements, kind of looking for new sounds in terms of like sonically, in addition to like finding that that cool kind of 90s snare to backbone stuff. What were what were some of like the sonic inspirations that you're bringing to this new record? Yep. Well, I bought a piano. It's probably about a year and a half ago. Okay. And I I don't play the piano, but okay. I was <laughs> interesting purchase. We then. were we were we were at like a college or something, and yeah. we were the green room was like the band room, you know, where the marching band practices, and I guess the okay. band leader has this piano. And I sat down and I was just hammering out some chords and just hearing it sort of bounce off the walls. And I was getting ideas and I was like, I love guitar. I played guitar a long time. For some reason, when I pick up a guitar, like I want to go to the same places. But when I played the piano, I learned like some chords to a Drake song. I could halfway yeah. play a Drake song. And I uh-huh. tried to learn how to like rap some of the words with the Drake song for fun. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I really like these chords. And I wrote another song. To, and, and so I was like, wow, this is fun. Like, why why have I limited myself in the past? You know, it's sort of like there's a whole nother world out there. And so I bought a piano. I think it was my Christmas present last year, actually. I got it a little okay. bit early. It was my birthday present. My birthday's in November. Anyway, and I wrote this whole record on that piano, um, even though I think a lot of the chords were like exactly the same. And Jacob, my buddy Jacob came in. He's like, okay, well, we'll change the chords up. But the melody's great and the song is yeah. great. I was like... I wonder if people are going to know like these, every song is the same chords. He's like, no way. <laughs> when you go back, they're not the same chords because we've changed them so many times. Yeah. But that's how I wrote the record. And I just learned a few chords that sounded like R and B chords to me. I don't even yeah. know if you hear those on the record, but it just, it sent me to another place. And, um, that was a lot of fun, you know, and way yeah. outside of my comfort zone. Like I can only play in one key. I only know a few chords, but it was yeah. just inspiring, inspired new melodies for me, you know, I guess a different instrument it just naturally makes you think of different things. Yeah. I think I was listening to a lot of different music too. I love rock music, but it got to a point when I was, I, I kind of got tired of it, you know, yeah. I don't know. I still listen to Springsteen. I still listen to Tom Petty. Like I listen to Bob Marley constantly, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and I started going back and listening to a lot of the like boys to men and the new Jack sound and the, stuff that I used to listen to. I remember being a preteen laying awake <laughs> yeah. at night and turning the radio yeah. on thinking about <laughs> girls for the first time listening to, you know, Jade and TLC. Nice. And I was like, and I, I was like, that's what I'm into right now. I was like, why yeah. would I make a record like that? No one wants to hear me sing like that. And I think at a point someone said, you well, don't try to sing like that. Cause that's going to be dumb, but the music can totally reflect that. And you sing like you, and it'll be cool. 
And so that's kind of yeah. how this record happened, which is, you know, strange maybe. Um, but I feel like I was pulling from totally different places in one sense, but in the other sense, this is stuff that's actually very close to me because it's really in me from my childhood, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, John Mark, the only thing that would have made that story better is if you were in the band room, the green room that had all the marching band equipment. And it was like, you know, I discovered a piano. Uh, There's a piano back there. I started doing a Drake song. If you're like, you know, there's a trombone. There was a Zuzaphone back there. And I started pouring out some Drake on that bad boy. And <laughs> th- thankfully, it was a piano back there and not, you know, a I giant know. brass. Though I'm pretty sure you could you could probably have fun with one of those giant instruments. <laughs> I'm sure I could. <laughs> well, cool, man. Well, hey, what's the, can you reveal the release date and the official title? Yes. Okay. So, by the way, I haven't officially revealed the title or the date. So I'm going to do it right now, if that's cool. An exclusive. Oh, Oh, yeah. Let's do it, man. Of course. I know. Um, So the album is going to be called Peopled with Dreams. Peopled with a D on it. I have to. Okay. You know, the D is people... I've been hashtagging it, even though I haven't announced it. And I think people are like, what? Is, you misspelled it. I was like, no, I didn't. No it's people with dreams. And awesome. we're releasing the record on Valentine's Day. Oh, what a great day to release a record. Well, on purpose? On purpose? Yeah. On purpose. Yeah. I was talking to my manager today. He's like, we're moving it around a little bit. I want to make sure the vinyl is done in time to come out and everything. And sure. We kind of had an idea and it's like, well, Maybe we can push it back. He's like, well, we don't want to push it back too far. He's like, but this date is Valentine's Day. I was like, well, that's perfect. Let's just do it on Valentine's Day. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I that's know. killer, man. It's kind of it's kind of baby building music anyway. So it's like perfect. <laughs> oh, right on. Oh. Well, all right. <laughs> you so, it's lots yeah, of exclusives. So, a baby making John Mark McMillan album <laughs> with heavily featuring a trombone to Drake beats. Now, uh, real quick. Well, we I feel like we have to ask before we move on. What's the story with peopled with dreams? So it's just, it's this idea I've had for a long time, the, the whole of peopled. And I think there's a lyric in the first song we put out, the road, the rocks and the weeds, the nights that you peopled with your dreams. And Shakespeare used to be really good at turning nouns into verbs. So people is a noun and people is a verb. William so Shakespeare, I take it. You're just getting clear. We're talking William Shakespeare. William here. Shakespeare. I just want to make sure we got the William right guy. The right guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Big turkey leg fan. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. See, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. Um, I know. I probably had this idea eating a turkey leg dressed up as a king reading poetry with a skull in my hand or something. But, but people, you know, and this idea that like God peopled the world, hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's like God mm-hmm. peopled the world with his dreams. Oh, and so yeah. Yeah. the whole record is sort of an exploration of what does it mean to be a dream of God? What does it mean if the people in front of you are dreams of God? Like, are we the way God experiences reality? Is he experiencing reality through us? You know, the highs and the lows, the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. pain and the elation of life, you know, and so that's sort of the like filter that I wrote the record through is this idea of being a dream of God. And, you know, what does it mean if the universe is God's dream? You know, it's, it's an interesting way to talk about a lot of things I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Well, dude, that's, that's awesome, man. And it's uh, uh Valentine's day. We'll definitely, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it some more before then, but dude, I mean, I can't wait for it, man. Congrats, by the way, it's a big achievement. Thank you. Get, another, yeah, get another album. I know I'm stoked. And that first single, Juggernaut, is out now. You can listen to that wherever you get your streaming music. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, Slices. And I'm patient. Oh, oh, oh. 
together, my strength going hard in the paint. Paint you a pictures, put on display. I'm gonna get they don't give the not You're listening to Home by Vince Staples. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Patience. It's by Tame Impala. Patience is what our friend Beth McCord is going to need to because I'm sure she didn't expect her Enneagram book conversation would be would be kicked off be, by about 30 minutes of turkey leg conversations. Yeah. Listen, Beth, we want you to come on. We've got you you're you're the preeminent Enneagram scholar of our generation. We do want to let you know that the conversation will be bookend with extensive hot takes, controversies, and theories about what turkey legs really are. So anyway, come on and we'll talk about the Enneagram. <laughs> It's supposed to be how they feel. That's how like. we pitched it. That's how I pitched it to a publicist, and yeah, man, they, they were, were thrilled. On board, they were over on the board. moon about this. Yeah, I wonder so. if, this is, if this is how you feel if, like, you're a reporter on NBC or something, and you've got your big impeachment. You know, you're like you've been working on your big impeachment bit. They like six produced minutes, and then they're they're talking about Ariana Grande's new boyfriend, and like they're still going, they're still going. It's like okay, got enough to not knock a minute out here, two minutes out. And by the time you get there, you're like, well. The impeachment proceedings are going on. We'll see you next time. Bye. Who's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> on the late show tonight? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, oh, it's man. time for our look at some of the our favorite stories that caught our eyes this week uh, from the podcast. Time for slices. Jesse, why don't you start us off? All right, I I, I stumbled upon something, and you guys may have seen it. Um, that is really baffling to me, and I'm I'm interested, uh, Tyler, you and John Mark's opinion about something that was in the news this week, and it is a a video trailer for oh, a for a video game. <laughs> I'm so glad you're bringing out, this story. <laughs> that is coming out on the the like PC, you know, uh, uh, streaming gaming platform Steam. Right. So that's a platform that uh, big companies and kind of smaller independent studios can create kind of out of the box games and people with subscriptions can go and play from their computers. So there's a lot of interesting games on there, but they're they're reason they're relatively conventional in their delivery. Well, this game <laughs> that was uh, a trailer was posted and a teaser for a game says it's coming soon. And it's from a studio that has no real background, right? So no one really knows about the people behind this game. The game is called I Am Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's very straightforward, okay? It's not called like Savior. It's not called like King of Kings. It's, it's the full sentence, I Am Jesus Christ. The premise of the game is you are Jesus Christ. So the in the video for this, for this and it doesn't look like... Whoever made this video didn't spend not a lot of money. Like, I'm not saying they blew out the bank for this, you know, but I'm, but it, they, they certainly spent something. And, uh, and if they developed an entire video game with the graphics that are depicted in this video trailer, then this was a serious undertaking by a lot of people. So the premise of the game is, and, and the videos show this is it's like, um, it, it's first person. So, it, you know, like a first person kind of like shooter, but you, you, instead of like seeing like a gun, like you wouldn't like call of duty or like doom or something back in the day, you see like Jesus's two hands, like you're walking around and you see his two hands, <laughs> his hands are outstretched, <laughs> kind of like the walking dead. Like they're yeah, out in exactly. front of you. He's sort of, it's sort of for some reason he's con- constantly like zombie mode. And occasionally like when he approaches someone like a, uh, uh, you know, someone in need of healing, his hands like kind of light up and he does the healing, but you live the story of Jesus through his perspective and through his eyes. But I'm not going to lie. Like, 
everything about this is very, very weird. Okay. <laughs> so like, even though it seems like the, the content of the game is relatively uh, conventional in, in the stories it's telling, it's very weird to be, you know, I mean, the, the, the cross is part of it. Like you're living the crucifixion through Jesus's perspective with the two things that you shot. But at one point you're fighting the devil, like hand to hand combat style. Like, I, I guess that like, you know, after after his death and prior to the resurrection, he went in and conquered evil. But this takes a very literal interpretation of that of that boss battle video game boss battle between Jesus and Satan. But the other thing that's not clear is what the point of this game is. Like this isn't, this doesn't seem like, uh, like a cheesy, um, y- you know, like Christian bookstore PC game that is meant to teach you Bible stories. It, it It's very odd. This is the official description from the coming soon page of, of, of this video game on Steam. And I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it in its entirety. And I want, then after I read it and what, and knowing what you guys know, I want you guys to, to, to give me your feedback, whether this is just a, a ill-advised, high-minded, very weird game, or this is some kind of elaborate joke. Here is the, the official description of I Am Jesus Christ. I Am Jesus Christ is a realistic simulator game inspired by stories from the New Testament of the Bible. Get into old times and follow the same path of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Game is, and again, there's lots of grammatical errors in the description, which should be a red flag. Game is covering the period of baptizing of Jesus Christ and to resurrection. Again, I'm reading it as it's written, typos and all. Have you ever wondered to be like him? One of the most privileged and powerful people in the world. I don't think I would call Jesus Christ one of those privileged people. Keep going. Honestly, no, I haven't ever. Like, that's not something I've thought about a lot. Uh, check if you can perform all famous miracles from the Bible like Jesus Christ. It is a simulation game and you can try to save the world as he did. Are you ready to fight with Satan in the desert, exercising demon, demons and curing sick people or calm the storm in the sea? Pray like him to get your Holy Spirit power and and help people around you. Fight with evil, make miracles, resurrect <laughs> dead, feel and act like him. If you if you a game lover, why not get to know his past? <laughs> Maybe I think that's supposed to say his past or path, uh, his challenges, his sufferings, and his power. Reach the final stage of resurrection and show the world you are alive. Okay, everything about this is so. So weird and so intriguing to me. And I have some theories. But first, uh, John Mark, we'll start with you. Do you have any inclination, based on what I just told you, of what is behind this video game, I Am Jesus Christ? I have no idea, but I want to play it right away. Uh-huh. <laughs> so do I. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to subscribe to Steve just to play it. I, oh. Honestly, especially with the grammatic errors and things, I feel like it's a joke. It, but yeah. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I, mean, I haven't seen the trailer. I only know what you've told me right here. Okay. You know, but the way it was written sounds like someone didn't spend a whole lot of time to write the description. Then again, I've put out some pretty terrible copy on <laughs> posts <laughs> advertising my records and stuff. So, you know, <laughs> um, wow. I would, this day and age, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if it was real. The trailer but, does not have a trolling vibe to it. If you it watch the trailer, it okay. seems, it, and it's hard to tell. It's getting harder to tell all the time. Like what's sincere and what's trolling and what's kind of in the middle. But the vibe of the trailer is very uh, kind of austere and uh, 
and uh, very earnest, I would say. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The glowing hands are weird. <laughs> they but are it looks like weird. they, but it looks like they were done. It looks like it was. They came by it sincere. It's not like a like one of those kind of like eight bit. You, you see no, these no, things. You, know, you see these things. Like, like it's not, yeah, this isn't an iPhone game. This is a real. I've got a lot of thoughts. I've been thinking about this all weekend. I got a lot of thoughts. I don't know. So do I, well, okay. Here's the other thing that's curious to me is like. It doesn't seem to have any like and, and I use the word evangelical, not in like the not denomination or like demographic sense. I mean, in like the evangelism sense. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem to have any like evangelical aspirations. It's not like live the game and hear the message that can change your life. It's like, everyone wonder what it'd be like to be Jesus and have these cool powers. Like, it doesn't seem to have like any sort. It's not like this game will help you learn the Bible. It's like, no, no, have you fighting Satan and, and turning and making fish and bread appear would be pretty cool. It, it's something about it to me is obviously something's being lost in translation with the description. Sure. Like literally. I think that was, and that sounds like it was written in a different language. And then maybe a subpar translation into English would be my very, guess. Yeah. But I also feel like this, the, 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 the content itself was done in some sort of different cultural language where if people were in a boardroom and be like, yeah, I think it's worth investing untold sums of money to make a game where you live through the eyes of Jesus and heal people with glowing hands. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, let's people seem to like Jesus stuff. I, I can't tell because if it is a joke, I don't know what the joke is other than just like it's weird existence. You know, it's I very bad to me. What if it's what if it's like. Um, some folks in Japan who like yeah. loosely know the Jesus story and are like, this <laughs> would make an awesome game because I swear we do that with their stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah that's true. Well, I mean, that's you know, like, you know, it's like when you see a, like one of those documentaries about like Christmas in Japan or something and it's like Santa they think is like Jesus's dad in the manger or something. It's like, yeah. it's kind of close. It's like, I see what you're going for, but I think something essential is lost there. Tyler, what, what do you, what are your, what are your two, two, ultimate two, I have two thoughts. The first one here is, and I, I I'm going to say this as somebody who, who loves Jesus. Jesus is a friend. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, sure. this does not come from you're a, gonna be from playing a place. football. You're going to play football at his big, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big, big, me big and Jesus got a date in heaven. Uh, so, so this comes from a, this comes from a, a place of, of sincere, but it's hard to think of a character who lends themselves to a video game less in all of history. Like <laughs> what's, what's the worst that can happen? You die. That's the point. That's the, yeah, that's exactly. the whole, that's the whole angle. Yeah. And you, you can't make a mistake or else it's not Jesus. You're not, it's not, I am Jesus Christ anymore. It's I am not Jesus. Christ. <laughs> yeah, so what's the, what are the stakes of the game here? Yeah. You, you I don't know what the, is there a power level? Does Jesus, does this Jesus have like, 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 is it in the, like, does he have like power points where if you heal too many people in a day, you have to go find a save point or, or you know, or go to the desert for 40 or something? days yeah. or something. Yeah. There's no version of this. It doesn't sound blasphemous at some point that makes it an interesting game. But, but having said that, I want to say my other point, the other, watching this trailer and him, like, like you walk around and like, you create fish on the ends of people's fishing lines or yeah. heal people. Something about that seemed kind of therapeutic. Like at the end of a tough day, 
you know, it, we're, in, we're in stressful times. It is, it's a divisive <laughs> era. The news is bad. <laughs> Things are, Ukraine is up to something. I, I haven't really followed <laughs> along lately. There's the, yeah. the turkey legs, mutant turkeys. People are eating them. <laughs> and wouldn't it be nice to just turn on your steam and just walk around a little, just doing nice things for people through a video game. Like, boop, 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 boop. Oh, look at all this fish I created. Yeah. That's pretty just, dope. Just yeah. kind of like, yeah, it's just, just very calming. Like it could be a very soothing, not really a game, like almost like a All right, how about self-help. this, guys? How about this? All right, John Mark, me, uh, and you and Tyler. When this game comes out, we all give it a whirl and we We're come back a little and do a party? special game review. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Is it multiplayer? Is there a, can we all be Jesus's walk around like Grand Theft Auto style? Because that'd be kind of... <laughs> yeah, maybe there'll be expansion packs where you can get like... You could be a Paul or something like that. Yeah. There's a game. Kind of like Lu- yeah. Luigi Jesus. Jesus. Like you Mario Jesus and then Luigi Jesus. Like <laughs> Luigi Jesus has the green robe on. You know? like first player Super gets Jesus to be regular card. Jesus and second player has to be like Jesus' like tall younger brother. You know? <laughs> Dude, I'm here for this game. The more we're talking about, the more I'm excited to give it a yeah, yeah, but anyway, Tyler, so what, what do you got, man? Atop that story, please, Tyler. Oh, I don't know that I, I don't know that I can't, but mine is also uh, it, it is I do I did I'm bringing a, a Jesus centric slice, so okay. I, I don't know if I, it's it's not a competition, but but oh, uh, we're I'd say we're bringing. If it were, we'd both be winning right now. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm wondering something. I think this this got a lot of traction over the weekend, so I'd imagine a lot of people saw it. Uh, I just kind of wanted y'all's takes on this. I imagine you guys saw this, but did you see this nativity scene? at this church out in Southern California. Yeah. A little bit. Are you familiar with this? So uh, it's a church from Southern California. This was ripped from the headlines. Uh, it attracted attention for a, what was really a very provocative nativity scene out in front of this church. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. I know we don't usually do visual slices on the podcast. Uh, you can see this picture at relevantmagazine.com. I'll describe it to you guys, but it's, it's Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus, uh, the, the life-sized figurines, but they're each, they're not huddled around a manger. They're each separated in what looked like sort of makeshift, uh, uh, replicas of ICE immigrant detention centers. Hmm. Uh, so they're, they're split up, uh, the, the way that, uh, that a refugee family would be if, if they were caught coming in through the Southern border, of course, because men and women and children are split up, uh, per the new immigration policy. So this is what they, it's, it's extremely provocative photo. This is from Claremont United Methodist Church. Their pastor is a, a woman named Karen Clark Ristine. She wrote a statement on her church's website that said, and it's, uh, it's a bit long. I won't read the entire thing, but she wrote, quote, in a time in our country when refugee families seek asylum at our borders and are unwillingly separated from one another, we consider the most well-known refugee family in the world, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, the Holy Family. Shortly after the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary were forced to flee with their young son from Nazareth to Egypt to escape King Herod, a tyrant. They feared persecution and death it goes on a little more from there but uh, but this was uh i saw this getting passed around a lot uh, uh it's quite an image to see it and, yeah. and evidently inside i did not see a picture of this but evidently inside the church once you go through that's outside inside the church they have another nativity scene in which they're all uh, reunited in the actual or, or a, a replica of the the manger itself uh, what, what sort of commentary did you all see about this if you did see any well I, I think, I mean, I've seen people because Twitter, people on Twitter like to be mad about a lot of stuff, right? So there were people that were like, oh, they're politicizing the nativity. But my thing is like, look, the nativity is already 
a loose interpretation and a conflation of a lot of stuff in the Bible. It's not a historical, like if I, like if I go see like a living nativity at a church down the street from me or whatever, it's like, this is, this is symbolic. Like the three wise men weren't there. The the night he was born, you know, like it probably, you know, this is, a you know front yard of a church interpretation of a larger story that has a lot of elements because they're trying to communicate a larger idea right mm-hmm. they're trying to to show the humility of Christ's birth the juxtaposition of these rulers going to acknowledge uh you know that this humble baby born to these difficult circumstances you know they're the submission of their power you know they're the the supernatural you know when you see like angels depicted in these in these nativities you know it's a supernatural meeting the natural they're communicating a lot of big ideas with symbolism and ultimately that's what i feel like uh this nativity scene is doing by putting the holy family into separate cages it's it's a stirring image but that's the point it's supposed to make you question not only uh current political policy but how does that match up with your faith i think you know when when you think about it in those terms i think it's pretty effective john mark what is your take on this particular church's nativity scene man i i think it's a i want to say it's beautiful but it's not beautiful it's beautiful because it's a beautiful example of something that's not beautiful you know yeah. like it's i mean it's i love it and and i have a friend I, who has this idea and he doesn't talk about it much because he's afraid it's gonna be controversial but i like to bring it up every now and then you know <laughs> when we read the bible we're always the hero we're always david and we're never goliath you know we're mm. always the children of israel we're never the philistines you know but if you are a believer and you have risked your life and your family's life to try and, you know, cross the desert to try and get into, try and come to a place where, you know, um, life will be better. And you assume that people are going to welcome you in and you get there. And then these people put you in cages, you know, be why? Because you were trying to find a better life for your family. Right. Um, and, and they're, most of them are Christians, you know, like most, mm-hmm. most of these, most mm-hmm. of these people are Christians, you know, I mean, I don't know all of them, but, you know, statistically speaking, you know, um, and so if you, if you are that kind of person and you, you, you try and find a better life for your family and you come into the land, right. And they lock you up for trying to do something good for your family to try and find a better life. Then, then do you think we are the, um, are we the Philistines or are we the children of Israel at that point, you know, or yeah, are, are we yeah. the giants in the land that need to be conquered? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. no one likes to think that way, but, um, this is, this sort of creates that thought, you know, we always want to yeah. be, Oh, we're the shepherd. We're the wise men. We're Mary and Joseph. We're Jesus, you know, but maybe we're not, maybe, uh, we're not the shepherds seeing the angels. Maybe we're, you know, Herod, you know, I don't know. Who are we in the yeah. story? Like, who who are we more like? And I know that sure just made a bunch of people really mad. I hope not. Yeah. But still, yeah, be- it's worth considering. Why are, we, why are you always the hero? Why are you always the good guy? Have you ever considered that yeah. maybe you're more similar to the giant in the land than to Joshua? You know? Yeah. I don't know. Think about it, right? Oh, I was going to say, I mean, to, to that point, are we the Egyptians or are we the Israelites? You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, we seem like we're pretty powerful. We seem like there are there are a lot of 
communities that have, you know, that have stories of suffering under oppression of the powerful. And John Mark, I think that's the perfectly uh, articulates that it's like it, anything that that underscores the cognitive dissidence that a lot of Christians have when it comes to uh, what's actually happening in the world that they're contributing to and the message of the gospel. I think it's a powerful thing. Yeah. I, I mean, just echoing what, what you guys have already said for sure. But I, I think that we've talked on this podcast and, and written about, and I'm sure people are familiar with the idea of this Christian persecution complex in America where Christians are forever wanting to, to uh, they're looking for reasons to say they're being persecuted. Right. And, and they'll interpret any uh, slight or perceived slight against their religious freedom here in the States uh, however menial or, or trivial or even petty it might be as uh, as being tossed to the lions in ancient Rome. I think part of the reason for that is because the Bible so clearly is written to a persecuted people. And it's understandable that Christians would want to identify with that because that's who the, the faith, at least according to the biblical text, is really addressed to and is really good news for. But I think what that's going to take on our part or the admission that we have to make in the U.S. is that we don't really, we're, we're not being colonized. We're the colonizers. We're not being marginalized. In many cases, we are the marginalizers. So taking that perspective you're talking about, John Mark, and, and I understand this is controversial as well, but especially for those of us who are in a, a very a place of dominance with a lot of privilege, being white, being male, uh, I think that's going to take learning how to identify yourself, le- learning which person in the biblical stories you really are and what that means for your faith. It doesn't mean it doesn't it's not a bad thing. You don't have a, a say in that and how you're born and what side of the of the 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 privilege meter you end up on. But it does mean you have to interpret some of these teachings in a different way. Yeah. And like I said, it's over there on RollerMagazine.com. And that'll wrap it up this week for Slices. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, Beth McCord joins us. They took my dog away. They treat him like a stray. I talked to God today. All dogs go to heaven. Heaven. I miss my dog. Heaven. I kiss my dog. You're listening to Pet Cemetery by Tierra Wack. Beth McCord is an author, speaker, and coach who's passionate about coming alongside individuals and helping them understand and interpret their story, allowing them to see that lasting change, meaningful relationships, and a life of deep purpose as possible. This passion is what drove her to create Your Enneagram Coach, a community designed to be a safe space for individuals to explore the Enneagram. I spoke to Beth about the Enneagram's popularity, some misconceptions about it, and how her new book can help communities get a better understanding of just what it is. Here is part of my conversation with Beth McCord. I think it's been really interesting to watch how quickly the Enneagram has exploded, which is obviously good for people, for you and people in your line of work too. But I would imagine it comes with some challenges too, because the bigger something gets, the more uh, I feel like kind of the, the the shallower people's understanding of it yes. can be sometimes, which probably creates a whole new set of challenges for you when you're talking to people about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sure does. You know, it's um, on one side, it's great that people want to learn about the Enneagram. But like you said, there's going to be a lot of people who get a taste of it, mm-hmm. um, but they 
then don't really know it and therefore can misuse it. And that can create a lot of harm for themselves and others in how they utilize the Enneagram. Plus then they can spread misinformation Mm. um, because they think they know it, but they really don't because it's a very complex system. So yeah, there has been its, um, kind of weaknesses, I guess, mm-hmm. in having it be so popular. But I, I think that's just going to be true kind of for anything. I know like when the Bible went into mass printing, that was their fear, you know? Oh, sure. Well, if, if everybody has the Bible in their hands, then they can read it for themselves and do what they like with it. Um, and so it does, it can dilute it, but hopefully we can get enough resources out there that hopefully it won't be diluted too much. Yeah, yeah. What have you found to be some of the biggest misconceptions people have about the Enneagram and how have you gone about correcting those? I think one of the biggest misconceptions that we hear a lot is that it's, you know, part of the occult or um, it's or it's not biblical. And it's like, well, I don't think any of the personality things out there are biblical. (laughs) (laughs) Myers-Briggs is not biblical. Um, And so there's a lot of misunderstanding in the sense of the Enneagram as a whole and, you know, who started it? What does that mean about it? And, you know, I think God really calls us to redeem all things. Um, One, even ourselves, you know, we ourselves are sinners and Christ redeemed that for his own purposes and glory. And so I think we can take this tool, it's an insightful tool, and use it for his glory. And so with my husband have gone to four years of seminary and being in the ministry for 20 years, you know, our whole focus has been to only access and utilize the parts of the Enneagram that are beneficial to our own personal growth with God. And so part of that is reworking some of the language and understanding of the Enneagram and putting it into our own words so that it fits accurately with um, theology, you know, correct way of understanding a gospel-centered approach. And so that means that there might be some things that we've not focused on because it doesn't necessarily fully align with focusing on becoming more like Christ. And so, you know, I I appreciate people's um, concern. We always want to be discerning, but I, I think that that is a misconception that people can have that we've really strived really hard to show. No, this could be an amazing tool for understanding your own heart to become more like Christ by surrendering, depending on the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. I did want to talk to you a little bit about the, the actual collection coming out here in a few days, which we haven't gotten to at all yet. So uh, it, it's uh, different. Is it, And I haven't even got a chance to, to read it a little bit, so I'll be asking you all about it. But it's just yeah. put up into every type, and which you co-wrote with different people who, who are that actual type. Is that correct? Actually, no. So oh, I, yeah. So the Enneagram collection is all me. Um, but I do have the forward written by the someone forward, of that type. I understand. Yeah. Okay. 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 That makes more sense. Yeah. And so it's really fun. So like Ryan O'Neill, who mm. did all the Enneagram songs, They're he wrote fantastic. the one for type nine. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, Chris Hewitt's wrote the one for type eight. So, you know, we really tried to ask people who are very well versed in their type to write the forward to kind of give a perspective from that type side, but I wrote um, all nine books. And what's great is they're, they're 21 day journals and I break down their personality into bite-sized lessons in 21 days. 
Um, it's to be insightful, simple, easy, digestible, but also highly reflective. And so we have after each day, there's reflection questions and places to write. The great thing is, is that every journal has the same topics for every day. And there's common content throughout. So what's your type, by the way, I forgot. I'm a nine as well. Okay, you are. Okay, well, so we'll pretend you're an eight and I'm a nine. <laughs> okay, so, that we, <laughs> so we'll just pretend. Um, and so if you're an eight and I'm a nine, and we're reading the journals together as friends or in a small group or a book club or spouses or whatever it is, we would be reading about the same content. So um, let's say you cool. get to the day on wings. There'll be common content where I'm explaining what the wings are in general, but then I get into the type specific content. So you would have your wings for type eight and mine would have type nine and then the reflection questions. And so you and I on that same day could go, Hey, what did you learn about what your wings? What did, you know, what did it say? And here's what it said about mm -hmm. me. And this is what I learned. And so it's going to be, obviously you could do it by yourself, but it's also going to be a really great vehicle for all these Christians who are really excited about it to actually do something together and yet customize for their type. What would you say the person who go or the, or the couple or, or community that goes through the, this collection goes through the, these together? What would you say at the other end of it? What's what's the goal? What, what's the, the mm -hmm. best case scenario? Not only that yeah. you'll understand your type more, but but what will that mean for your life? Oh, absolutely. Well, so in seeing how there are nine valid perspectives of life. There are nine ways that we all see the world. Now, you and I are the same type. And so there's going to be a lot of similarities that you and I can go, oh, my gosh, yes, mm. you know. But most of the time we're with people that have different personality styles and they see the world differently. But most of the time we don't – we kind of know that's true. But most of the time we react to people as if <laughs> they should see and do things the way we would do them. And so we get frustrated and annoyed when they don't or hurt. And that's when we – um, knowingly or unknowingly commit a suicide. This is where we harm, hurt, or destroy relationships because we assumed they were doing it for reasons they weren't, you know? And so by understanding the nine types and that we have our own struggles and wonderful attributes, but so do they. And how can I understand them? So it's kind of like taking off your own sunglasses with a colored lens mm -hmm. and putting on theirs. And that's going to give you grace, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, love towards one another where maybe you struggled with that before because now you see, oh, they really struggle in this area or wow, they're really great in that area. I so appreciate them in that area. Um, and so that is what we're really hoping for. But we can't get there unless we've done, done our own work and our un, own growth. When we are mature and growing in our likeness in Christ, we will give compassion just like Christ gives compassion and reconciliation and restore relationships. And that's what Christ is all about, is reconciliation with all of us. And so we want to extend that to one another, but we can if we are annoyed with everyone or frustrated or hurt. And the Enneagram bridges that gap for us. That was Beth McCord. Next up, John Mark's Best of the Decade. Listening to Come On, Let's Boogie to the Elf Dance by Sufjan Stevens. 
Um, so we something we've been doing here over the past uh, a couple of weeks as we come to the end of the decade, as we start wrapping up, put, putting a button on the 2010s, is we're talking to you, the listener, and also to some of our guests about their favorite things of the past 10 years. Getting the best of lists in terms of movies, music, books, podcasts, uh, video games. We got a late entry for best video game of the decade. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens <laughs> <laughs> in the finish line. <laughs> so this week we got, since we have uh, an, an artist, a creative artist, somebody who's been a, a regular part of of relevance coverage, but I've so been a fixture of sort of the lane that we cover in general for the past 10 years. John Mark with us today. We wanted to hear a little bit about your favorite things of the decade, John Mark, and we're going to talk about some other, uh, some of our other listeners' entries as well. But John Mark, were there any movies or albums that really stuck out to you as being the the best version of themselves for the past decade? Man, so this is always really hard. I, I feel like I've got to like look through my like Spotify to see mm-hmm, what yeah. I've been listening to. But as I was thinking about this, like a, there's a lot of albums. There's a lot of really good albums in the last 10 years, right? Yeah. Um, like uh, Beyonce's Lemonade album, D'Angelo's yeah. Black Messiah album, uh, all the Bon Iver records. And those are hard for me mm. to pick because even the new one is really good to me. Like, I think yeah. I'm probably when his marketing team goes into a boardroom and they like put a like screen up on the wall. And I think my face is on that screen. Like, I think they're marketing <laughs> directly. This to is me. the guy you're writing to. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I know that's he so loves cliche. turkey legs. He, he, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Tired of the outrage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but all the Bonnie Vare records, like those records dominated this decade for me, for sure. Um, hmm. Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly. Sure. Um, Bleachers, Gone Now. Are you guys familiar with Bleachers? Bleachers? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Jesse, you're a big Bleachers fan, right? I am. I, you know, I, I've actually, back when I was uh, like a teenager, I would listen to, they, there was a record label called Drive Through Records that would do a lot of like kind of pop punk emo stuff. Anyway, mm-hmm. there was a yep. there was like a folk duo on there called Steel Train, and that was like Jack Antonoff's original band. And I even liked his stuff back then. But I got a chance to see... I've seen Bleachers a handful of times live, but I got to see them one time at a pretty intimate show that was an after party at like Lollapalooza. And we might as well have been in Madison Square Garden because they're playing with two drummers. You know, he has this. And John Mark, I want to hear your your Bleacher take because I feel it's interesting. You said earlier that you you are, are a big Springsteen fan because I feel like Jack Antonoff brings that big New Jersey kind of blue collar attitude to his music. What stands out to you about the bleachers records? Well, I think, and yes, I agree with you a hundred percent. He and Springsteen are definitely like drawing from the same well there, you know? Yeah. And I think he's doing that on purpose too. I think he's sort of, I think Jack's paying homage to, you know, to his upbringing, but I love Springsteen and, and I hear a lot of that influence, but for me, I think his writing is just so well done. Like the hooks, the melodies. I just like a lot of what he has to say. And I like that he doesn't seem to take himself too seriously, but he's saying things that I think are kind of important, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I love the way he has this person talking on every song. It sounds like mm. someone who wasn't born in America, you know, I thought yeah. that was really cool. And um, he sings a lot about home, you know, and, and he's sort of wrestling with, I guess, I mean, this is what I hear. Maybe I'm hearing myself in his music, which is what people do. Maybe he's not talking about any of this, but it seems like he's growing up and he's trying to like battle with like, 
who he was and coming to terms with who he was, but also who he is now and learning, you know, and there's that time when you like, you have this conflict, you know, but then there's a point where you're like, you know what? I wasn't perfect, but I still love who I was, but I'm glad I'm who I am now, you know? And yeah, that's what I hear yeah. in that record. And maybe that's just because I'm here in my own life in his record, but it felt like that's what's going on in that record. And on top of it, just the songs are just baller. They're just so oh, catchy. Just I want to listen to them yeah. like over and over again. You know what I mean? Well, well, he he's become sort of a hired guy because he is such like they are ballers, right? Word because they they have like this, uh, um, like real anthemic. Um, like, you know, it's almost like when he was writing, he knows this is a great song. And that's why he's sort of become exactly. this hired gun. You know, he's written songs. He wrote a bunch of songs in 1989 and worked on the Taylor Swift record, which honestly, yeah. I, no matter what people think of Taylor Swift, I think is a pretty good record from this decade. He also wrote a bunch yeah. for like Carly Rae Jepsen. Like he's he's hired by these black pop stars to come in and write these really catchy songs that have heart. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think he's he's one of the standout um, artists of the decade. Now, John Mark, I know you you're a big MCU guy and and uh, you know spends time in the movies. Are, or were there any films that jumped out to you of the last decade that that you know you'll kind of look back on that were emblematic of the the 2010s? Well, I think Avengers Endgame is like a really amazing example of the whole decade, and it sort of wraps hmm. up that sort of era of Marvel and the Avengers, you know, but all of that happened. Most of that happened this decade. So I think that's a, that movie really like speaks to the, to the entire decade. And I just love the movie. Like, you know, I'm a huge fan, so I'm sure people can find all kinds of problems with it. I mean, superheroes are ridiculous, you know, they yeah. are, but I, I love it, you well, know, and we, I just we love only that- say good things about superheroes on this podcast. You don't need to, you don't need to couch it at all. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a Marvel tattoo, John Mark. You're talking, yeah. you're talking to the choir here, but the story arc of Tony Stark from the beginning to the end, ah, oh, just, it's beautiful. I think I think if you could permit, if you can allow, and I've seen some places do this in their decade wrap, the MCU to almost kind of count as one movie or a singular piece, even yeah, totally. Then it belongs, which I think is is not an unfair thing to do. And then there's a real argument for it to be, if not a movie, then certainly one of the top ten defining things of the decade, entertainment totally. pieces of the decade. It's interesting because when you look at uh, films in particular. That when you when you look back at its particular decades, they capture the anxieties and the values or at least like the aspirations of that decade. And I think it's interesting that in the in the 2000s, so like 2000 to 2010. Yeah. Harry Potter was like the biggest um, film. And, and, you know, Harry Potter is sort of an underdog story. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that was a decade of recession, of yeah. uh, of uncertainty, of of, you know, this awkwardness of sort of post 9-11 growing up, like culturally. And Harry Potter was this sort of optimistic figure, but he was certainly one that he was kind of, he second guessed himself. He, you never knew. It seemed like the odds were always against his favor. Where the, where the 20, you know, the last decade were in, it's interesting to think about the the mcu and that light and like what does it represent you know there's a certain swagger to those films right there's a certain self-awareness you know there's irony there's all these things that you could probably make a case that those movies beyond just their the their success had ideas wrapped up in them that um you know uh, uh really 
underscored some of the the anxieties this era. I mean, you look at you look at the basic conflict between like Captain America and Iron Man, and what's you know the militarization of power, right? Like interventionism. There's all these ideas that I think you could make a case, like you could make a case for Harry Potter the last decade, that the MCU was pretty representative of what we've been experiencing culturally. You know, no, I, there, there's a pretty interesting comparison between Tony Stark and Harry Potter. I mean, both, you know, they're both, their parents are gone, right? They he lost their parents. I guess Tony knew his parents when he was young, but when we meet Tony, he doesn't, you know, it's in the last movie, he goes back in time and he meets his dad. I didn't hope to spoil yeah. that, but I mean, the movie's been out for a while, right? <laughs> what? And <laughs> yeah. so, and so both Harry and Tony have this issue with their dad that they sort of come to terms with towards the end, you know, like there's this comparison, but you're right. Tony starts out on the tip top. He's Malfoy. He's rich, right? He has all the money. He has everything. What he doesn't have is a reason, you know, as Harry has nothing but a reason. Right. But they both kind of end up in the same place towards the end. Right. Like yeah. selfless and they give of themselves. And I don't know. That's a really interesting idea, though, of how those two different franchises speak to the era. Because yeah. you're very yeah. right. I think you're right on. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, our our listeners send us some interesting. I want to mention a couple. I know we're running a little long here, but uh, there's a couple uh, that our listeners sent us that they felt like jumped out this decade. Scott said, and we've talked about some of these, but Scott, particularly the ones that jumped out to me is the podcast serial, which which I agree was formative, be- not only because uh, of what it did for podcasting, but the true crime genre and people's, you know, sort of care for the justice system. I feel like awareness yeah. of yeah, prison justice system <clears throat> yeah. reform. It was huge for that. Yeah. But, yeah. but the two TV shows that Scott mentioned, uh, parks and rec, which I totally agree. I think we've talked about that before. Like, I feel like that was a really important show for the era, but this one, um, I'm a big fan of this show, Nathan for you, uh, which was on comedy central, had a brief run and it was sort of this hybrid prank show, a uh, reality show send up, but it also provided some really interesting commentary. I feel like about consumerism, about entertainment, about um, uh, commercialism is super funny. And I feel like it's a show that could only exist in this era. Like it's too weird and too kind of on the nose. I don't feel like there'll ever be another show like it. And I don't, there was definitely another show before it. So I think you can make a case that even if it wasn't one of the best shows of the decade, it was certainly one that stood out. Tyler, reading through some of the, what the listeners send us, was there anything that jumped out to you? The Nathan for you one did jump out to me. And that I think it was very, there was a really great piece. Uh, I, I should share. I may have, I may have actually uh, retweeted this piece. So true. So, so real fans, the real fans who follow me on Twitter may have already seen this one, but uh, Ethan Warren is a writer of Brightwall Dark Room did a really great uh, take on Nathan for you as sort of representative of the last decade in terms of representing the millennial like grifter economy sort mm. of, uh, which I think is very, very true and was really well put on his part. Um, among the other things that are listed here, lots of really, lots of, uh, of really good stuff. Mad Max Fury Road, that's going to be on top of a lot of people's lists, obviously. Uh, same with Spider-Verse. Uh, same with some of the the albums here. Uh, Random Access Memories. I'm glad to see Ben remembering that one. That was such a big album when it dropped, and then it kind of got forgotten for reasons I don't totally understand. I, I think that album holds up. John Mark, do, do you have a Daft Punk take? Uh, I'm a big fan of Daft Punk. I, I don't know... I mean, I, I remember them from like the 90s. Hmm, yeah. sure. And then uh, then sure. I heard their huge record from a few years ago. But other than that, I don't know like the deep cut Daft Punk stuff. 
they've got they've got a, it seems like they have a real love of the craft and uh and and I really appreciate how much how much time go clearly clearly time effort and love goes into it um and I, I did I don't think we've seen anybody else list this among their be- best TV shows of the decade but I think it does deserve to be on the list uh the good place on NBC yeah. with, with Kristen Bell was definitely at least that first season was such a wild ride. You, you just did not know what you were going to get into every single week. It's been good throughout, but the, and I, I won't spoil it because I don't know that it's been uh, around long enough to be, to, to say it's safe to do that yet. But I think that the way that it subverted its own premise by the end of season one, really rocketed towards the top of most interesting TV shows I saw over the last 10 years. Yeah. And I think there's a case too, if you were making a short list of artists that really define the decade, you know, you obviously uh, like John Mark, you were saying like Beyonce would be on there. I would say Ava DuVernay is a filmmaker would, would be on there. But I do think Michael Shore, the showrunner for The Good Place was is quietly one of the more influential cultural forces. Not only what did he create Parks and Rec. Not only did he create The Good Place, not only did he create Brooklyn Nine-Nine, he was also one of the major creative forces behind uh, The Office. He actually played Cousin Moe's in The Office. Um, And I feel like his work, uh, you know, is ironic in a lot of ways, but beams with this optimism that isn't afraid to ask big questions and and tell interesting stories, but always kind of leave you feeling pretty good. Like, I, I, I think The Good Place is a good call, so... But yeah, we can tell. Why don't we have listeners keep sending us? We got a couple oh, more please. weeks here for the yeah. decades out, man. Yeah, yeah. If you've got a take for uh, for a for a movie, a TV show, a book, podcast, album, uh, you know, right over to find us. I love doing these retrospectives, and I'm putting together my own right now. We'll be coming out with uh, relevance best of the decade here uh, pretty soon. Pretty soon. Yep. We got we got a few more. We got to hash out a few more fights before we come to our definitive list. But, but <laughs> got it, a few more happen. turkey legs to gnaw on, <laughs> and then we'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, you know what? I think with that, we're probably going to wrap it up for this week. We want to say many thanks to Beth McCord. Uh, Make sure to check out her books. You can find everything that she's written over at your Enneagram coach. Dot com. Uh, I've sat in. Of, I've, she's been kind enough to give me a few Enneagram coaching sessions, and uh, it's been a really, really good thing for for my life. And I, I can't imagine anybody not appreciating some time spent with her. Also, thanks to our friend John Mark McMillan. Uh, that new single Juggernaut is out now, and Valentine's Day. Uh, I, I, I'm looking forward. John, for the, I need some new baby making music in the house. So I'm glad you're coming through for us. <laughs> Dude, thank you guys so much. You're always so nice, so kind. I, I love this show. So this show is on my 10 year. Oh, thanks, buddy. Oh, right. How about that? Thanks a lot. Thanks a Your lot, man. Your stuff too, man. Right back at you, man. And, uh, and hey, as long as you're over on uh, on our Apple podcast page, uh, maybe give us a good review. We could use uh, your good reviews, do help us a lot. Uh, so if you have a, a five star comment or to to add to the, the list, then we sometimes we even go through and we read a few of those. Uh, so if you can do that while you're there, we appreciate it. If you're if you're not a fan of the podcast, then don't bother. We, we already know about all of our faults. We're very aware of those. Uh, and I think with that, <laughs> I think with that, that will wrap it up for this week. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chandler String. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm John Mark. Well, have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. Got a few more turkey legs to gnaw on, and then we'll let you know. Relevant Podcast Network.